Hello, everybody. Elkia uh, Ora. Today's webinar is the third webinar for the project uh, that we have been undertaking to investigate the use of recycled plastics uh, in asphalt. This session uh, will present the third report produced as part of this project, focusing on the asphalt and bitumen properties, microplastics uh, and emissions. We have almost 400 people registered for today's session. Welcome to you all and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a Communications Officer at Austroads, and I will be moderating today's session together with the Project Manager uh, and one of the presenters, Andrew Papakostas. Andrew will moderate the Q&A at the end uh, of the webinar. First of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to all this past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. This project uh, was delivered under the Transport Infrastructure Program, which is managed by Ros Gapi. So a bit of housekeeping. Um, today's presentation will run for about 75 minutes and then we will have a Q&A uh, session at the end of the webinar. The report and the slides uh, can be downloaded from the handout section uh, of your sidebar, which you will find on the right hand side of your screen. Uh, please send us your questions for the Q&A uh, at any time during the webinar using the questions icon uh, on your sidebar. If your question relates to any particular slide, uh, please include the number of that slide in your message to help us answer your question as best as we can. Also, let us know if you are experiencing any technical problems, but just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, uh, the issue is most likely with your connection. So closing your browser and rejoining the session via your email registration link usually helps. Uh, this session is being recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. If you listen to podcasts, uh, you can also find Austroads in your podcast app. So we have four presenters today. Our first presenter is Andrew Papakostas. Uh, Andrew is the Principal Engineer, Pavements, Geotech and Materials at the Department of Transport Victoria. Our second presenter is Associate Professor Filippo Giustozzi. Filippo is leading uh, the Intelligent Materials for Road and Airport Pavements Research Group at RMIT University. After Filippo, we will hear from Yonja Boom, uh, who is a civil engineering PhD student at RMIT University, and Dr. Marie Enfran, uh, a postdoctoral research fellow at RMIT University. For the QA, we will be joined by um, Dr. Dai Lujuan, who has also um, been involved in this project. So, welcome to all our presenters, and uh, over to you, Andrew. Uh, welcome to this third webinar of a webinar series presenting the findings of Osprey's project APT6305 Use of Road Grade Recycled Plastics for Sustainable Asphalt Pavements. Now, the primary focus of this project is to identify recycled plastics that can be used in asphalt applications. The project has been delivered by Osprey's, but has been funded by the Transport and Infrastructure Council. Now, the Council consists of Australian Commonwealth, State, Territory and New Zealand Ministers responsible for 
transport and infrastructure issues. Now, the project team consists of an advisory board, which has members from Austroads, road agencies and industry. And the board provides uh, project uh, oversight and direction. The Austroads Pavement Task Force, which has members from road agencies and industry from Australia New Zealand, provides technical advice, support and review. And most importantly, the, the research is being undertaken by RMIT University. Now, today's webinar presents the findings of the comprehensive testing that's been undertaken. Those findings are available in a recently published Austro's report. It's report number three, part A, and all reports and associated webinars for this uh, Austro's project are available from the Austro's website. I now ask Filippo to present the findings of the project. Thanks, Filippo. Thanks, Andrew. Um, a quick reminder to everybody listening that um, this is the third webinar and for the sake of time, some of the concepts uh, we have presented in the previous two webinars will not be repeated. Philippa, I'm sorry for interrupting, but we've lost your slides. Okay. How about Yes, now? they're back. Yeah. Sorry about that. No um, I was just saying that this is the third webinar and for the sake of time, uh, some of the concepts have already been presented in the previous two webinars, so we will not be repeating them. Um, but all the info is publicly available online and ready for your download. So as Andrew said, in today's webinar, we will uh, be focusing on the experimental results and the fundings of this project there are a lot of them so stay focused and follow me through the slides because there is really a lot to discuss um i will the first topic i would like to touch upon is the incorporation of recycled plastics in bitumen uh, as a reminder this is what we called the wet method and for which we used low melting point plastics so why is that? Because in this method, plastics is supposed to melt at the bitumen mixing temperature. So if, you are, if you're looking at this diagram, we are focusing on this first part here on the left, when we mix bitumen and low melting point plastics. What plastics? Well, exactly these two, these two types of um, recycled plastic polymers that you see in the figures. A quick reminder that these two types of plastics are uh, representative of a larger subset of recycled plastics and again all the information was um, included into report number two and there are some um, notes about this in report number three part a as well so um, in report number two if you remember we supplied and tested more than 40 40 types of recycled plastics um, we supply them across New Zealand and Australia, and we probably carried out, we conducted more than 900 plus tests on the plastic itself. All the results in report number two. Back to the slide now. Um, keep this, the name in mind, RLDP, CPEPP, because they will come in handy in, in the um, next slides when I will be presenting the results. So more specifically, RLDP is a post-industrial source 
of polyethylene blends. It is a blend of low density and linear low density polyethylene, as you can see down there in the table. And CPEPP, we gave it that particular name because it's a representation of commingle post-consumer plastics. So polyethylene and polypropylene together. And different contents, but you will see that um, polypropylene is there and it was there, if you look at report number two, it was there in a significant percentage. It was about 60% of the commingled plastics. One thing I would like you to notice is that polypropylene is uh, melting at 163 degrees. So relatively higher compared to the polyethylene type of plastic. Uh, the bitumen using the wet method is C170, quite standard bitumen uh, for modification, um, for bitumen modification across Australia. If you are an international listener, C170 is a relatively soft grade of binder we have uh, here in Australia. Penetration is close to 70 and a softening point around 48. Um, just a reminder that we did a sensitivity analysis on different uh, um, sources of C170 bitumen, supplying three different sources of C170 from three different suppliers, and the sensitivity analysis is also included into the previous report, so I will not touch upon that anymore. Uh, recycled plastics was added in uh, four different contents, one, two, four, and six percent by us of the bitumen, and uh, the results were compared uh, with C170, with C320, but also with A35P. Again, if you are not familiar with A35P, it's an Australian type of polymer-modified bitumen, um, commercially available here, uh, at, that includes a higher dosage of uh, polymer. I always like to be a bit practical in my presentations and, and show the look-like of, of things so that you can um, be part of the research in a way. Um, note, that, note that these photos are uh, um, were taken after mixing plastics in bitumen and after cooling down at ambient temperature. So you can definitely see uh, some separation occurring at, at high polymer content, especially on the 4 and the 6%. But this is how they look like. Um, on the left-hand side of this slide, you'll see all the experimental program that was conducted on bitumen modified with recycled plastics. So you have an assembly of physical tests and rheological tests. I won't have time to discuss about the findings of each and every single uh, box of this particular flowchart, um, but you can refer to the report that is available online for all the details. So I'll just go through some of them and then I'll refer you to the report. And um, in here you can see some photos of some of the machines available at our MIT University in the lab. Uh, <clears throat> let's start with something simple, softening point. Um, if you're not familiar, if you're not uh, um, from the asphalt industry, this is just a uh, softening point can be seen as a measure of consistency of the bitumen at high temperature. Uh, it is probably important to highlight that um, recycled plastic is not just one material. So when you talk about, I will modify my binder, my bitumen with recycled plastic, that is not one material. Depending on the type of plastics, you can get different results, different outcomes and different performance. So that's something I would like you to focus on because it, it is uh, a finding of the research and it's something that um, will be discussed more into the details uh, afterwards. 
So recycled plastic is a real polymer, in fact, and can behave differently depending on the, the polymer composition. And you know because I show you that those two polymers have two different compositions. In this case, uh, I would probably like you to focus on two different findings. Um, number one for me was that RLDP produces a consistent jump in softening point uh, at high content, so 4%, 6%, compared to the commingle post-consumer CPPP. However, the, other sec the second findings to me was that both recycled plastics do not significantly affect the softening point of neat bitumen, the C170 up there. Uh, as you can see, the change is, is not much. If they are included, incorporated into the bitumen at a low content, so one or two percent, or let's say two percent or less, you can see that there is a marginal difference between the softening point of the plastics and the softening point of the bitumen. Viscosity at high temperature is also um, a measurement of how well will it flow uh, at high temperature. And, and this is quite an important indicator because it can be an indicator of the ease of compaction in the field. It can be an indicator of the workability of the mix. It can be an indicator of the pampability of the bitumen at the plant. So again, as I said before, recycled plastic is not just one material. So you can see that for the same content, the two recycled plastics are giving different results. So different findings. And more specifically, RLDPE significantly increased viscosity uh, at high temperature, while the increase of viscosity in CPEPP was uh, a bit milder in a way. So it was minimal. You can see a real jump at 6% viscosity at 6% RLDP with a viscosity of 1.03. The third parameter within the physical tests that I found important to show in this short presentation was the storage stability. And why is it important? This is important for ensuring um, that the separation of the polymer from the bitumen does not happen during storage at high temperature at the plant, uh, but also during transportation. So high content of recycled plastics leads to heavy separation, and, and this starts at very low content, let's say 2% onwards. Why is it important? Because if you cannot mitigate this issue, probably it would be hard for you to use high content of recycled plastics. And I showed you before that uh, it, it's uh, at more than 2% that you start feeling the, the benefit of modifying bitumen. So from this point on, uh, you will see in the incoming slides that a new mix, a new blend will appear uh, in the following tables. And what we did was to counteract the, the separation of plastics in bitumen, um, you may use what we call a compatibilizer, which are basically other polymers um, acting as a bridge between the bitumen and the plastic or between the two components. And, and this is just a very general term, but the way they act is quite different depending on the polymer you use. Um, we have used one methodology and this is available in the report. You can have a look, I think it's section 2.6. Um, but bitumen suppliers or anybody who would like to modify bitumen recycled plastics can choose their own method uh, and achieve similar results. Um, there are various possibilities and 
um, the, the details of what we did are in the report. So we call this blend RPE comp to, to highlight the compatibilizer presence. RPE because it was a blend of polyethylene recycled plastics. So the important parameters in this table to, for you to focus on are probably the last two rows at the bottom, viscosity of 165 and the storage stability. And if you see um, the viscosity, that becomes quite low, 0.14. Remember that the neat bitumen was around 0.11, although we have added 6% of recycled plastics in it. And the storage stability, which I, uh, the closer to zero that value is, the better, the, the more storage stable the binder is, um, is, is just a 1.2, which is very low and comparable to other commercial polymer modified bitumen on the market. So it can be done and you have several options for doing it. Now, moving to more rheological test. Um, this one is a consistency 6% at 60 degrees. Uh, it is a property highlighting the resistance of a bitumen to rutting at, at high temperature, and the temperature is 60 degrees, obviously. Uh, we use the, the new testing framework, the new testing methodology that has been proposed in the latest uh, Osford's report for this parameter. The obvious finding that you can see in the table um, is that consistency at 60 degrees increases with higher plastic content. We were somehow expecting that. Um, however, there have been some troubles during the test with the separation of plastic you can see in the, the, in the two pictures below uh, from the binder, especially at high plastic content. So I will probably not rely too much on the results at high content, the 4% and the 6% uh, in that particular table. Uh, if you want to find more details about this test and the results, I will suggest that you go and have a look at the report. Um, a similar test was conducted at high temperature, exactly the same 60 degrees, using the same DSR, just a, a slightly different configuration. Uh, the test is called MSCR, multiple stress and creep recovery, multiple stress creep and recovery, and, and follow an ASHTO standard. Um, the results in the table indicate that more than 2% of recycled plastic is needed to be incorporated into the vitamin to, to actually produce a jump in the performance of the blend. You can see that the one and two percent, yes, they are an improvement compared to the 4.43 um, JNR. JNR is the no recoverable deformation. Um, but you really need to put four percent and six percent to, to um, significantly increase the performance of the blend. Uh, more specifically, um, we are looking at very high content of recycled plastic, 6%, um, to achieve similar performance to a polymer modified binder as A35P. And at the bottom, you can always see the um, RPE comp with the compatibilizer. So as a quick intermediate summary, just to pin down some initial thought on the findings, um, recycled plastic are not all the same. I repeated that a couple of times in, in, in my slides. Um, it is not just one material that you are dealing with. It's a, a variety of materials. And in our previous report, we have grouped this variety of materials into four subsets. And we have selected one type of plastic representative of two subsets, which specifically are the RLDP and the CPPP that have been tested here. 
why we did that can be found in the, in the report number two. Um, polyethylene, the black one in the figure, it seems to provide slightly uh, better performance than the polypropylene. Uh, again, that's not just 100% polypropylene. It was a blend of LDPE, LLDPE, and polypropylene, but polypropylene was the, the most significant component in that blend. However, polypropylene is quite easier to disperse. It usually has a higher melt flow index, and therefore um, it blends well with the bitumen uh, at high temperature. If you are using less than 2% of polymer, you can get some improvements, and I will show you uh, those improvements in the asphalt part as well. Uh, however, um, the real improvement is when you use more than 2% of recycled plastics. Uh, if you do that, you need a compatibilizer when using the WEF method. Is it nothing impossible, but um, you need to use it, and that will allow you to significantly increase the performance of the mix. The second part of my presentation will revolve around another use, uh, uh, well, the use of recycled plastics in asphalt. I, I wanna start with this slide again, because a lot of people think, okay, the wet method is just plastic in bitumen. It is plastic in bitumen, but then once that has been modified, you add it into the aggregate. So you will have aggregate plus plastic modified bitumen. Um, in, in the case that bitumen is modified recycled plastics, as we have seen in the, in the past block of slides, the asphalt produced with plastic modified bitumen is still called wet method asphalt. And, and that's just something that I wanted to clarify to avoid any confusion. So previously we were just looking at the, the first block on the left, now we are looking at the properties of the three components together. So bitumen, plastics, and aggregate all mixed together. However, there is another option to use recycled plastics in asphalt. And the process can assume two names, <coughs> the dry method and the mixed method. In the dry method, plastics is used as an aggregate replacement. <coughs> so basically we're using high melting point or amorphous plastic, so plastic that doesn't really have a proper melting point. And we don't want the plastics to melt. And, and we use it as an aggregate replacement, as a partial aggregate replacement. I will show you that later. Um, and there is another method that we call the mix method. When we are using the same process, so we are still putting aggregates, uh, putting plastics into the aggregates, but this time plastic is a low melting point plastic. And, uh, and what it means is that the plastics will melt around the aggregates and will partially modify the binder and partially behave as, as an aggregate replacement in a way. So it, that's why it's called a mixed method, or we call it as a mixed method. Um, at the end of the day, you still have plastic modified asphalt, but it's just very important to distinguish between um, the different methodologies. And the mixed method is the one that will be included into report number three. And report number three will be submitted by us in a few days. The two sources of plastic selected for the dry method are recycled ABS, which is acrylonite butadiene styrene. Uh, it's an amorphous material, and it's the one on the right-hand side um, 
with particles of different colors, black, green, and orange. Um, the other material is colored PET, the, the, the fine material on the left-hand side, and polyethylene terephthalate has a melting point of around 251 degrees Celsius, at least the one that we have used for these experiments. <clears throat> you can see an asphalt sample modified with recycled plastics on the right-hand side, but what is important to note is that both materials, they do not melt when mixed in asphalt. Um, however, we wanted also to understand what the different sides and shape of the recycled plastic particles uh, would affect, uh, how that different shape would have affected the um, performance of the asphalt mix. So the ABS on the right hand side was selected as to be a partial replacement of a coarser aggregate, uh, whereas the PET on the left hand side was selected to be a partial replacement of a sand particle in the asphalt mix. The bitumen this time was a C320 bitumen. I will not go through uh, the table again. You can find all the details in the report. It's just a slightly higher softening point and a slightly lower penetration than the C170 that I presented you with uh, at the beginning. The content of plastics in the asphalt mix was 0.5%, 1%, 2%, 4%, as I said, by mass of the asphalt mix. And we use the RABS as a coarse fraction replacement, partial coarse fraction replacement, and the PET as a fine fraction replacement. The mix design as um, established together with the advisory board was a dense graded, maximum size 14 millimeters, was a surface layer, vitamin content about 5.1%. Um, the first property I would like to show you is what we call compactability. Compactability is, is really indicative of um, how easy the asphalt mix is to compact, as the word says. Um, in this graph, the, the, this graph is related to the WEF method, and uh, there is a minor difference. You can see that there is a minor different difference between the various mixes. Um, the hot mix asphalt C170 is uh, the black solid line that you might be able to see, especially towards the bottom, and all the other mixes are the plastic modified mixes. So you can see that there is quite an overlap, meaning they are very similar in terms of compactability. The red line at the bottom is the uh, RPE comp. As I said before, um, you can really play with different uh, uh, additives to fine tune the performance of the asphalt mix, the final performance of the asphalt mix. Um, on the other side, that's the dry method. And now you can see that incorporating plastic as a dry method has quite an effect in, in the final compactability of the mix. Um, if you look at the uh, right uh, graph, you will see that the dotted lines there are the RPET mixes. So when we are replacing the fine aggregates with RPET, the dotted line are the RABS mixes. So when we are replacing the coarse material, the coarse plastic, and the black solid line in between is exactly the hot mix asphalt with standard unmodified bitumen, no plastics in it. Um, all the dotted lines appear to be below 
that uh, hot mix asphalt standard mix showing an improved compactability, slightly improved compactability, especially at low plastic content. When you add 4% of recycled plastic, the line jumps above the standard hot mix asphalt. But what was interesting to see was that when you're replacing it as a sand particle, compactability becomes quite hard. And especially at high content, 2% RPT, 4% RPT, it becomes quite hard to compact. Um, fatigue, in terms of fatigue resistance, so the durability of the asphalt mix, um, it is better than neat bitumen. And this is a, a picture for the wet method. You can see in this column, the variation compared to the hot mix asphalt C170. Uh, although the variation goes from almost zero um, to 25% in case of standard plastics and 35%-ish uh, with the compatibilizer, it's still much worse than uh, an A35P, for instance. If you are uh, asking or thinking uh, why is there only 1% and 2% recycled plastic represented in that table, that's because, as I told you, if you add more than 2% of recycled plastics without using any compatibilizer, then the mix is not really feasible in, in the real world. So um, we would have needed to add compatibilizer at different content to produce the 4% and the 6%. So we just produced the one at the bottom uh, to show how the, the, the properties can be enhanced uh, at higher content of plastics. Um, in, the, in the dry method, um, the fatigue of the dry mix was similar to that of the wet mix. Um, there was an, an increase in the epsilon 6 value of around uh, zero or close to zero, one percent. You can see in the 0.5 percent RPT, all the way up to the same value as the wet method, plus 35, plus 38 percent. Um, however, neither the wet nor the dry method could reach the fatigue performance of the industrial polymer modified bitumen. And that was somehow uh, expected. But in comparison to a standard asphalt mix, we notice improvement in both methodology, the wet and the dry. Um, a rutting performance was measured through an Hamburg wheel tracker at 50 degrees following an ASHTO standard. And in this graph, you can see the reduction um, in the rut depth compared to hot mix asphalt C170 without any uh, plastic in it. So the A35P shows almost, so the, the polymer modified binder shows almost a 90% improvement. So almost half of the rutting. <clears throat> and the um, other plastic mixes are around 40 to 55% and the compatibilizer a bit higher. Keep in mind that the compatibilizer had 6% of plastics in it. When you move to the dry method, <clears throat> and this is actually the same scale, just uh, you, you can appreciate the different magnitudes. So if I move it rapidly back and forth, you can clearly see that there is a difference between the wet and the dry method results in terms of how helpful are they to reduce the rotting. Um, here, the magnitude of the reduction is mostly limited between 10 and 20%. Uh, <clears throat> no particular difference was measured between the two different sizes. So RPT, the small size, and RABS, the coarser size. What was probably interesting to notice was uh, the moisture damage. So let me start by saying that none 
of the mixes tested had significant issues in terms of moisture damage. All of them um, presented a TSR value, a tensile strength ratio value, above the, the standard threshold of 80%, which is the value required by many standard. Um, what is probably relevant to notice here is the difference between the stripping point identified with the Humboldt World Tracker test and the TSR value. So although all of them are above the 80%, you can clearly see that this is the uh, neat beaten in the C170. So with a stripping point that was quite low, uh, the two post-industrial RLDP 1% and 2% are here, the CPEPP are the two here, and those two upwards are uh, in the very top corner, they are the compatibilizer mix and the A35P, for which we uh, did not experience any stripping at all during the uh, Humboldt wheel tracking test. If I replicate this graph for the dry method, uh, you will see something interesting again. Uh, they are all above the 80%, but in terms of differentiation of stripping point with the Humboldt wheel tracker, they are quite different. The triangle, the Breck triangle in the middle is the C320. At the bottom, we have the uh, finer aggregate replacement, the RPT. This point here is when we add 0.5%, but all the other four are ABS are up here above um, the finer aggregate replacement. So it seems like uh, adding uh, RPT as a fine sand replacement produces a bit more moisture damage compared to the RABS. However, as I said before, they're all above the 80% threshold. Now, in terms of stiffness, I am ideal CT, so cracking tolerance, you can find all the results in the report. There wasn't enough time for me to present it all here. So I will just go through the next slide, which is a second uh, intermediate summary. Again, to just to pin down some more concepts here. Um, recycled plastics in asphalt produce viable performance improvements depending on the method so we have seen the differences between the wet and the dry um, usually when we're using a dry method there is uh, a significant effect of the size and the shape of the plastic if you remember the compaction curve uh, uh, that was quite a, a different effect um, the wet method does not significantly affect the compactability of asphalt but the dry method does um, in terms of fatigue resistance. Generally, if compared with uh, standard uh, hot mix asphalt, C170 or C320, there, there is an increase. And this increase is in the range between very tiny increase, 0.5%, all the way up to 38%. Um, if you really want to go up in the fatigue resistance, then 6% or more is required with compatibilizer to stabilize them. Uh, to reach levels of uh, a polymer-modified uh, binder used by the industry. You will find some very good um, results in report number 3B, the one that we will be submitting in a couple of days about the mix method for what relates to uh, fatigue improvements, which are higher than uh, both the dry and the wet, just as an anticipation. Um, again, both the dry and the wet method, they, are, they were found to improve the rut resistance, so 13, 17% uh, improvement in rutting. However, the wet method is the one that produces the uh, greater benefit in terms of rutting. We were not expecting really a, a big difference in the uh, dry method modification 
um, in terms of rotting because that just uh, it acts as a partial replacement of the aggregate. It doesn't melt, um, so the 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 improvement was just limited to 10-15% on average. And moisture damage didn't seem to be an issue, neither using the wet nor the dry method. I will hand it over to uh, Young Jan now for the presentation of the emission studies from plastic modified bitumen and asphalt. And I'll see you again in a bit. Hey everyone. Um, are you able to see my uh, slides? Yes. Okay, awesome. Uh, thanks, Filippo. Um, to start off the emissions analysis, uh, this study investigates two types of compound groups, volatile organic compounds, VOCs, or um, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, uh, PAHs for short. Uh, in, in, in general, just a basic recap, uh, VOCs are a group of carbon-based chemicals that evaporates between 50 to 250 degrees Celsius. And PAHs, on the other hand, they are a type of hydrocarbon with two or more fused benzene rings. And presented here on the slides are the relevant tools used in the study to capture the VOCs and PAHs. The study employs four different types of um, industrial standards, the NIOSH 5515 and the method 0031 for PAHs and VOCs respectively. Um, and they are basically the capturing or the sampling technique, if you will. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the analytical side of things, we actually follow the US EPA method TO 13A and method 8260D for PAHs and VOCs respectively again. And uh, these standards were used uh, based on their extensive coverage of analytes and the fact that most current standards in the uh, workspace were developed based on these standards. And in total, uh, this study investigates 16 PAHs and 48 VOCs. So shown here is an experimental setup for the uh, wet method uh, via bitumen modification, uh, the bitumen testing side of things. And the idea here was to generate fumes directly from the production of uh, bitumen production. Um, and uh, basically the bitumen was heated to the desired temperature and then the selected recycled plastics were added into the, the mix. Um, the air uh, was captured for uh, two hours throughout the entire duration of the blending period uh, through the sorbent tubes attached on each end of the three vial neck. And a mechanical stirrer was used to keep the mixture agitated throughout the uh, blending process to, to, to provide a consistent result. Um, in terms of plastics, like Filippo has already touched on, we are using the recycled low-density polyethylene, or RLDPE, and the commingled polyethylene, which is uh, denoted by CPE slash PP. And these uh, two plastics were um, selected for the wet method itself. And all the blends uh, were produced using C170 as a base. Um, and the results were compared to NEAT C170 without uh, the addition of plastics and also A35P 
uh, as a benchmark reference for uh, a, a comparison analysis. Uh, on the other hand, the addition of recycled plastics through asphalt was done via the asphalt mixer, um, as also shown um, by Filippo. Um, basically, uh, the idea here was uh, to also capture the emissions uh, via the sorbent tubes attached at the top um, through the fabricated lid. And um, for the dry method, we are using uh, recycled PET and also recycled ABS. Um, and uh, the fabricated lid is basically at the top here, if you can see my mouse, um, with um, the sorbent tube tubes attached to them. And this is basically just an image on the inside and how it looks like when um, uh, the whole asphalt mix is being um, produced. <clears throat> okay, so the images on the left represent uh, the before and after photo of the sample uh, tube and filter, just to give you an idea of what it actually captures. These tubes and filters are then transported to the lab for analysis. Uh, further information regarding the process, the extraction uh, procedure and everything else with the solvents and all that can be found in report number two and also report number 3A. Um, each samples are then analyzed using the GCMS or the gas chromatography mass spectrometer. The analysis time for the VOC emissions is a little over 40 minutes for each vial. Uh, it comes in two vials and the, uh, about 35 minutes for the PAH analysis as well. In total, we're looking uh, at approximately three hours or so for one set of samples to be analyzed on the GC. And this excludes the actual mixing time, sampling time, uh, preparation time for the mix, heating process, and et cetera. Um, as mentioned previously, this, uh, this, this study investigates the emissions of uh, 16 PAHs and uh, 48 VOCs listed here. It may seem like a lot of compounds because it actually is, uh, but to make it easier to understand, I have highlighted the compounds of concern as they are classified as carcinogenic compounds in red by the US EPA and uh, known irritants uh, also in yellow. And by including these compounds in our study, it shows that the method used uh, covers a range of hazardous compounds, should there be any at all. And moving on to the um, testing parameters, it includes a, a range of different working temperatures and also a range of plastic contents also uh, mentioned by Filippo. Um, so I won't go too much into it, but basically the dry method and the wet method asphalt testing, not the bitumen side, were tested at uh, 140, 160, and 180 degrees Celsius. Uh, the, the plastic contents for the dry method is 0.5, 1, 2, and 4% by weight of the mix, while the plastic content for the wet method asphalt was the same as the wet method bitumen testing. The entire study comprised of, um, I think if I'm not mistaken, it was 87 samples, uh, which were replicated twice for repeatability, totaling it up to about 174 samples. Uh, additional tests and analysis were also conducted for blanks, calibration standards, internal standards, method validation, sensitivity analysis, storage stability as well. They all, um, all these can be found in the uh, report number two and three A. Uh, and note that the results that I will show you today will not include the wet method bitumen testing, but only 
the asphalt side of things. Um, and obviously for, for you know, time purposes and stuff, um, more of these information regarding all the results can be found in the report 3A. So uh, the graphs plotted here shows the concentration levels of PAHs on the left in green and the VOC concentrations on the right in gray for the wet method asphalt. The graphs uh, here, they showcase the relationship between PAH and VOC uh, concentration against plastic content on the y-axis across various working temperatures. At a glance, you can see that it's quite clear that um, as temperature increases, the concentration of both PAH and VOC emissions also increase. Specifically, if you were to look at the concentration levels of the NEAT C170, which is denoted by the dark black line, the PAH concentration increases up to about 43% from 140 to 160 and significantly increases up to about 93% when working temperatures were uh, bumped up to about 180 degrees Celsius. But from a plastic content perspective, compared to uh, NEAT C170, the addition of uh, recycled plastics uh, do, does somewhat reduce overall emissions, however, not at a significant rate. And even at the highest um, plastic content of 6% by, by weight of, the, uh, of bitumen, the effectiveness of the um, uh, adding plastics itself um, in the PAH emissions only showed about 6% reduction compared to, to, to NEAT C170 and approximately about 3% from uh, in terms of PA, uh, VOCs, sorry. And to take it one step further, a compound analysis was conducted to gain further insights on the effect of adding these recycled plastics. This study was specifically um, this study specifically singles out the carcinogenic compounds, but because only benzene was found um, uh, among that list, benzene and benzoapyrene, um, so therefore they were uh, further scrutinized. And the graphs here basically um, shows the percentage difference against uh, NEAT C170. So what that means is if the bars are plotted downwards, as you see here, it just indicates that there was a uh, reduction or a, um, uh, a reduction in emissions. And similarly, when it's plotted upwards, it just means that there was a increase in concentration levels compared to C170. And, um, and again, at a glance, you can see that the addition of both um, recycled LDPE and uh, commingled PE does reduce overall benzene and benzoapyrene concentrations. The reductions are directly co correlated to the plastic contents as higher plastic contents exhibited uh, a, a, a higher reduction level, uh, if you will. And uh, in the case of A35P bitumen, which is denoted by the dashed black line, the benzene concentration levels measured um, was actually higher than NEAT C170, approximately up to about 7% at one point. Um, uh, conversely, at, uh, uh, from a benzoapyrene emissions perspective, uh, you can see that the, uh, there was a huge reduction up to about 25% using A35P compared to uh, NEAT C170. 
And uh, it's also quite important to take note that although the total PAHs and VOCs are lower than C170, there could be a possibility that where um, some of the emitted compounds are actually higher than C170. Um, <clears throat> moving on to the dry method actual testing, the effect of uh, working temperature again here uh, remains the same whereby an increase in um, working temperature led to a higher concentration levels on both um, uh, compound groups. The, the use of recycled plastics in this aspect saw a greater effect in comparison to the one that I just showed you before with the wet method actual testing. The use of recycled ABS and PET uh, showed a uh, overall reduction in VOCs and PAH at 140 and 160 degrees Celsius. Um, and these reduction levels were, again, um, directly correlated to the plastic content where uh, a higher amount of uh, plastics enhanced the inhibition effect of uh, the, the, the compound groups. Um, however, though, as you can already tell, the use of recycled ABS at 180 degrees caused a, a spike and climbed above uh, the NEAT C320 values. The spike um, in overall emissions can be observed as the plastic contents is further increased, um, which just indicates that you know the recycled plastics, it's uh, recycled ABS itself, is directly contributing to the higher levels of emissions. And the use of um, uh, recycled PET in, in in this scenario uh, reduces um, up to about 28 to 21, uh, 21 to 28 percent. Um, uh, for both VOC and PAHs. So when we um, dive in deeper with the compound analysis of benzene and benzoapyrene, the use of uh, recycled PET saw a reduction in both uh, benzene and benzoapyrene, uh, up to about 38% uh, in reduction for benzene and about 7% for um, benzoapyrene. And again, as uh, the addition of recycled ABS, we saw a spike in benzene concentration across all working temperatures. Um, <clears throat> and the um, spike of the um, benzene concentration using recycled ABS uh, goes up to about 80% uh, compared to uh, conventional uh, NEAT C320 asphalt. Uh, but from a benzoapyrene perspective, the addition of uh, the same recycled ABS saw a reduction up to about 12%. And while I did present that, you know, there was an increase in uh, benzene uh, concentration uh, with the recycled ABS, it's quite important to keep in mind that benzene only accounts for a little over 03 to 0.5% of the entire emitted compounds. And although the addition of recycled ABS uh, saw a higher um, level of benzene concentration, it's still well below the current threshold uh, values by two orders of magnitude. And uh, in comparison, the benzene concentration for recycled ABS would ranged around two to eight micrograms per cubic meter, while the threshold uh, limit over a 15-minute period for benzene is uh, 200 micrograms per cubic meter. So plotted here is a graph of the benzene concentrations obtained from the, um, the mix before uh, compared to the current threshold. 
Um, and also quite important to note that while there were a reduction for benzoapyrene emissions, the, the inhibition uh, effect is quite, quite minuscule. Um, so an additional sorption test was also conducted to understand the sorption capacity of each plastics over a period of time. Each selected plastics uh, were soaked in PAH and VOC chemical solutions individually with uh, a known concentration amount consisting of um, um, all the 16 and, uh, PAHs and 48 VOCs. Results were analyzed after seven and 14 days on the GCMS and the results were compared to the original known amount on day zero. The simple equation on the right basically sums up the calculation process whereby the, uh, the measurement on day seven and day 14 is subtracted by the measurement on day zero to obtain the sorption capacity, if you will, on day seven and 14 respectively. So the graph here, uh, the graph here basically shows, that, um, again, PAH solution um, on the left in green and VOCs on the right. From a PAH perspective, the sorption capacity drastically increases over time as the percentage absorbed on day 14 was nearly two times than day seven. However, from a VOC's perspective, the, um, the absorption rate didn't go up too high from day seven to day 14, basically just indicating that the plastics may have already reached a saturation point. And based on these results, it seems that the recycled plastics are far more effective in uh, absorbing PAHs than VOCs. Um, and overall, uh, the use of this test shows a clear affinity between VOCs and PAHs with plastics, indicating that the emissions can be effectively absorbed onto plastics when added into asphalt or bitumen. And um, all in all, I think based on these results presented here, and shown in report 3A, it's quite evident that the use of plastics in bitumen and asphalt, regardless of its type, can effectively lower emissions. Um, and also that that actually amplifies with increasing plastic contents. <clears throat> However, the increase of working temperature will significantly increase um, um, all emissions, regardless of plastic type or, or, or plastic content. Um, and the sorption analysis of the PAH and VOCs onto individual plastics have shown that the addition of um, recycled plastics in general can uh, play a role in reducing overall emissions. And finally, analyzing the data through the total emitted compounds can be quite misleading as it does not allow a further analysis on uh, hazardous compounds being emitted. Therefore, um, it's suggested to, 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 to conduct a, a compound analysis to determine the potential release of uh, each specific emissions when using recycled plastics into bitumen or, or asphalt. And uh, before I pass on to Marie, uh, here are some important key points to take note of when going through the emission study. Should be noted that the uh, different sources of bitumen will produce different levels of emissions. And this study does not investigate the differences of emissions from various sources, but uh, the effect of recycled plastics in bitumen and asphalt only. And uh, furthermore, um, lab-generated fumes can only represent a worst-case scenario and should not be considered as a replacement for on-site testing. And uh, finally, the emissions from the emission studies from this report was meant to gain 
insights on the effect of recycled plastics. Therefore, it should not be considered uh, as a toxic toxicological assessment. Um, that's all for my part. Thank you uh, for your time, and I shall pass on to Marie to talk uh, about the testing of microplastics. Good afternoon, everyone. Can you see my script properly? Yes. Perfect. Um, so as Young just says, I'm going to talk to you about the release of microplastics from plastic modified asphalt. So to start with a bit of um, context. So when a road is laid for the first time and open to traffic, road dust is generated. This road dust can be made of many different types of, of materials, such as particles raised from the car tires, um, any residues coming from construction sites nearby, leaves and woods, um, but also road marking materials, which are the materials made to make the lines on the roads. Um, but also particles coming from the road itself can be found in this dust, such as bitumen particles, but also sand and aggregates. So the question you may ask is, if we add plastic in the road, will it also be released in road dust as plastic or microplastics? So in this project, we develop a new method to assess the release of microplastics from these type of roads because there was no procedure before to assess this um, phenomenon. So in order to run this test, we used a wet track abrasion machine, which is already used uh, in the industry. Um, pretty straightforward to use and affordable. Um, the only thing we had to do was to um, optimize the design, such as changing, changing the pan, lead and insert, as you can see here. Uh, the main reason was to be able to fit and, and keep still the asphalt specimen to be tested, what you can see here in the middle part. And on the top of this asphalt specimen, uh, there is a rotating abrasion head. You can see here a zoom on uh, the type of head that we used. And these rotating abrasion here were used to generate abrasion on the asphalt sample. But in reality, setting up this machine was not the most difficult. The hardest, the hardest part was to develop a procedure to extract the microplastics released during the abrasion test. So this procedure was um, already presented during the previous webinar, so I'm not going to go through it today due to time constraints. But if you're interested in it, I invite you to have a look at the report. Um, so in terms of asphalt samples, um, for the microplastic release, we investigated the same samples as were presented by uh, Filippo and Yongja previously. So basically a reference samples where no plastic was used, which is the unmodified, uh, unmodified asphalt. And then two types of asphalt samples modified either via the dry method with recycled ABS and recycled PET, or modified via the wet method, uh, modified with recycled LDP and commingled uh, PEPP. So in order to uh, design this abrasion procedure, we first add to optimize the experimental parameters. The first parameter we had to um, optimize was, was the duration of the test. The main reason for that is that we wanted to investigate the kinetics of microplastic release because this may differ depending on the uh, type of asphalt that we were using. And therefore, we run a test between five and 60 minutes. 
Then we thought of changing the water pH. So the water, water was used to submerge the asphalt sample during the test in order to collect all the residues um, that were released during the abrasion test. So then we thought, what about acidic rains that can occur in Australia? Will the pH of the water have an impact on the risk of microplastics? So we decided to run several tests at different pH values from pH 4 to pH 10. And finally, the last parameter that we had to investigate was, of course, the temperature, because, you know, the temperature can vary quite a lot, um, specifically here in Australia and New Zealand. So we run different tests at 5 degrees Celsius, 25 and 40. So this optimization procedure was done on wet method uh, and dry method modified asphalt samples. But because I don't have a lot of time today, I'm just going to show you the results for the um, wet method. However, if you want to have a look at all the details for the dry method, I invite you to have a look at the report. All right, so if you have a look at this graph now, so this graph represents uh, the fraction of aggregates, bitumen, and microplastics that were released after the abrasion test on either an asphalt sample with no plastic or an asphalt sample modified with recycled LDP. An important thing to notice here is the significant difference between the fraction of bitumen released after five minutes of abrasion compared to 20 minutes of abrasion. So if you think about it, how the asphalt is made is actually on the top of the asphalt, there is a thin layer of bitumen that is first removed during the, five, the first minutes of the abrasion test. And after 20 minutes of test, this layer has already been removed and the, the aggregates are starting to be released, which is why after only five minutes, there's more bitumen being released compared to after 20 minutes. And actually you can see this on the field where the road gets lighter and lighter when it gets older because the, this thin layer of bitumen is being released uh, over time. So now if we have a closer look at only the microplastics and bitumen um, residues released from the asphalt sample, you can see that for all the uh, asphalt-modifying plastic and all duration, the amount of microplastics plus bitumen is reduced compared to the unmodified asphalt sample. So that clearly shows that adding plastic to the bitumen clearly enhances the adhesion of the binder onto the uh, aggregates. In terms of microplastics, you can see that there is an early release of microplastic during the first five minutes, which is due to this removal of this thin bitumen layer before it levels off to um, more linear, sorry, more constant release of microplastics. So now in terms of optimization parameter, we have chosen to work at a duration of 60 minutes to have a full grasp of not only the microplastic release after five minutes, but only, uh, but also, sorry, after 60 minutes, as you can see, the value gets constant. Next was the optimization of the pH value. So same type of graph, fraction of aggregates, bitumen, and microplastic. There's not a significant difference in terms of fractions between all the samples. But if we have a closer look at the microplastics plus bitumen fraction, there is definitely a significant difference between the amount released from the non-modified plastic and the modified asphalt. The reason for that is that the plastic can definitely improve the pH resistance of the plastic modifying binder, which will, which will therefore stick better to the aggregates, 
and therefore enhance the abrasion resistance of the asphalt at this pH value. In terms of microplastic release, there's not a big difference between the different um, pH uh, values. And therefore, we decided to work at a pH of 7. So actually, if you think about um, acidic rains, the pH of acidic rains is closer to 5 or 5.5 uh, in terms of pH, and therefore it's closer to pH 7. And also working at pH 4 and pH 10 is um, more difficult in terms of labora laboratory setup. Um, so we thought it was more practical um, to work at a pH of 7 uh, for this test. Finally, temperature optimization. Um, so here, again, the main difference that you can see is between the non-modified asphalt and the plastic modified asphalt, but only at five degrees Celsius. So what's going on here? Again, let's have a look at the microplastics plus bitumen being released from the sample. So there's definitely a, a major difference uh, at five degrees Celsius. And this can be explained by the behavior of bitumen uh, when changing the temperature. At low temperatures, such as 5 degrees Celsius, the bitumen is harder and is more brittle. But when the temperature increases, the bitumen becomes, becomes softer and more sticky, and therefore it retains better, um, the, it sticks better to the aggregate and therefore enhances the abrasion resistance of the asphalt. Adding the plastic here, as you can see on this value here, therefore reduce the thermal sensitivity of the plastic modified binder. And this is due to the thermal property of the plastic itself. In terms of microplastics, there's still a lot of microplastics being released at five degrees Celsius because, um, uh, of course, in the, in the plastic modified bitumen, the main part is made of bitumen. So there's still a lot of plastic being released. However, when we increase the temperature to 25 and 40, then you can see the amount of microplastics uh, being released clearly decrease because the bitumen is becoming um, more sticky and therefore retains the particles. Now in terms of optimization parameter, we, we chose to work at 25 degrees Celsius. Here, the, the main reason is that working at 5 degrees Celsius and 40 degrees Celsius is um, more difficult in the lab because you need to work in a closed environment using a climatic chamber. And maintaining these temperatures for an hour, working with the electrical equipment is not the easiest to do. And also because at 25 degrees Celsius, you can clearly see that the amount of microplastic is high enough to be detected and compared to other samples. And therefore it would be easy to separate the results from different tests. So as I told you, we ran the same optimization procedure for dry method modified asphalt, and we modified the same parameters, duration, pH, temperature, and concluded that the uh, most optimum parameters were a duration of 60 minutes, a pH of 7, and a temperature of 25 degrees Celsius. Therefore, we uh, standardized the um, this abrasion procedure with it, with with these three different parameters and then applied this procedure to different type of plastic modified asphalt at different plastic content and with different plastics. Let's have a look first at the release of microplastics from wet method modified asphalt. In that case, we used RLDP and CPPP at plastic contents varying from 1% to 6%. Looking at the microplastic plus bitumen uh, release, there's not Apparently not a big difference between the two samples. But if we have a look at the microplastics only, 
then you can see that there, there is clearly a trend um, being drawn here. When decreasing, sorry, when increasing the plastic content from one to four percent, there is a clear decrease of the microplastics being released. However, when increasing again to six percent, we are back to a higher value of microplastics being released. So this trend can be a bit counterintuitive. So we run additional tests to understand better this trend here. The first test, first test that we did was a boiling test, which was meant to assess the adhesion of the plastic modified bitumen onto the aggregates, also called a stripping, um, and correlated to the release of microplastics. How do we do this test? First, just need to code aggregates of known size and mass with the plastic modified bitumen. These coated aggregates were then boiled in water for 20 minutes at 100 degrees Celsius. And finally, after being removed from the water, you can see on the particles, sorry, on the aggregates that part of the bitumen was removed. So these um, aggregates were titrated in order to quantify the surface of aggregate that remained uncoated after the boiling test. So what do we obtain? Um, let's have a look first at the graph on the left. You can see that the stripping curve is plotted in red. Again, the stripping means the amount of bitumen that was released from the aggregate after the boiling test. The curve in blue represents the amount of microplastic being released from plastic modified asphalt at different plastic content. First set of results is the trend we obtain when we increase the plastic content from 1 to 4%. Here it is obvious that increasing the plastic content decreases the stripping on the aggregates, meaning the bitumen adhesion on the aggregate is increased, and therefore that releases the amount of microplastics being released from the asphalt. You can see on the pictures on the right that from 1 to 2 and 4%, the aggregates are look darker and darker because less bitumen is being released. Okay, so that's pretty, um, that's a logic conclusion for the first part of this curve. Then what's going on here? Because we can see that the stripping is increasing when increasing the amount of plastic being used bitumen as well as the amount of microplastics being released. So we had a closer look at the bitumen and more specifically a macroscopic look at the bitumen. So the pictures that you can see on the right are um, pictures of bitumen modified with plastic at different plastic content, where the black areas refers to pure bitumen and the white areas refer to plastic. From 1 to 2 and 4%, there is a good dispersion of plastic um, in bitumen, since you can see dispersed white and small spots everywhere. But at 6%, of RLDP, you can see plastic-rich areas that are pretty big in the bitumen, showing that there is a poor dispersion of plastic in the bitumen, which is why actually the stripping is not good, because the plastic here, these areas are only made of plastic and not mixed with bitumen. Because of this, it increases the release of microplastics, hence the trend that we have observed here, which was going up, down, and then up. Okay, now let's have a quick look at the dry method. So as a reminder, the dry method was made using RPT and or ABS at plastic contents varying from 0.5% to 
here the main trend is that at 0.51% of our ABS, there is a clear release of microplastics that is much higher than the recycled PET and also much higher than at 2 and 4% plastic content. For the RPET, there is a constant release of microplastics regardless of the plastic content. So on the right now, if we have a look at the picture of the surface of the asphalt samples after abrasion, you can see that on the zoom in, the size of the PET particles here is actually much smaller than the size of the ABS particles. And this difference in size distribution is the reason why we have a higher release of plastic at, uh, yeah, of microplastics at low plastic content for our ABS. Okay, so now the next question you may have is, so what is the environmental impact of all this plastic modified asphalt in the end? Well, the answer is not that straightforward because unfortunately there's still no microplastic thresholds um, in terms of concentration in the environment. And this is due to the many different types of microplastics that can be found in the environment. So instead, we decided to compare all these results with a polymer modified asphalt that is already known and commercially used um, in Australia and New Zealand, which is A35P, which is made of 5 to 5.5% of EVM. So we use this as a benchmark and compare the amount of microplastic release from these plastic modified asphalt to the asphalt that the plastic modified asphalt that we made by a wet and dry method. And the main conclusion is pretty easy to spot. The release of microplastics from all these plastic uh, modified asphalt using recycled plastic is slower than the release from A35P, meaning that in the environmental impact from a microplastics point of view is lower when using this plastic compared to A35P, which is already used in Australia. So then you may ask, okay, but what about other plastic products? plastic modified asphalt product. Well, the main advantage of the procedure we develop is actually that it can be used to benchmark any new plastic modified asphalt product against commercial, plast uh, uh, commercial asphalt products such as A35P, as I've shown you here, but also A10E, A15E, etc. And that means that it can support environmental agencies to make decision regarding the introduction of any new asphalt product into the market, even before the roads are laid. This new experimental data set can also be used um, to predict with more accuracy the environmental impact of plastic modified roads throughout the entire lifetime. So in our group, a PhD student, Rebecca, she's currently um, having a look at the life cycle assessment of plastic modified roads considering microplastics release. And this was not done before because this data set and this procedure didn't exist. So now that we have this data set, we'll be able to predict and to model the environmental impact of this uh, new plastic modified road made from recycled plastic. Um, thank you for your attention. And I will now hand it over to Filippo for um, the guidelines we developed to implement these new plastic modified asphalt. Thanks, Marie. Hope you can see my screen now. 
Um, obviously, we have done a long series of tests, but it's now time to talk about how to implement um, all the findings into guidelines, into um, possibly specifications. Because at the end of the day, this is what we wanted to do in the first instance. We wanted to facilitate the use of recycled plastics into bitumen and asphalt. So you will find a lot of information in the Appendix B and Appendix C of the report three part A. Specifically, um, Appendix B provides a little bit of the basis of a specification aiming at defining the properties uh, recycled plastic should possess um, for inclusion in bitumen and asphalt mixes. So um, it also provides all the details about the testing to be conducted to assess the specific properties of what we call a road grade type of plastic. So probably Appendix B is more related to uh, plastic recyclers in a way rather than the, the, the asphalt industry. And, and the question here is what are the properties your company may need to focus on when supplying recycled plastics for the road industry? If you remember in report number two, we tested nine different properties for each and every single of the 40 types of plastics that we tested across Australia and New Zealand. So we shortened that down, we narrowed down the, the, the list of things to be checked, but we still need something to be controlled in order to produce a suitable product for uh, the road industry. And the number one is the presence of contaminants. Uh, obviously, we don't want anything in there that can be potentially harmful to the workers and harmful to the environment. Uh, number two is the melting point. So we want to know what is the melting point of your plastic blend, the plastic that you are supplying. And that's because we need to understand whether it can be incorporated into the wet asphalt method, into the wet bitumen method, into the dry method, into the mixed method. So it is important to know the melting point. The melt flow index is also something that is of interest and, and that can be used even as a simple quality control test um, to verify that the, the, the next batch will be similar to the previous batch that is currently uh, being sold. Um, and then finally, the amount of fillers that are present. We found that there is a large variability across Australia and New Zealand in terms of recycled plastics. Some of them, they have as low as 1% of fillers in it, but some others have up to 20% of fillers in it. And, and that's basically that basically means that when you're buying 100 kilos of recycled plastic, uh, 20 kilos is not plastic, it's just a filler. And that's something we would like to avoid. So we put a, a maximum amount in, in the appendix B. Plus, what we want for all the other asphalt additives um, out there, whether it's crumb rubber, whether it's a different type of uh, additive, we would like them to be free of impurities, paper, timber, organics, etc. So if we already have these in place for other asphalt additives, why shouldn't we be asking the same? to the plastic industry. And we found in, in the previous experimental activities, we found that this is quite possible. In fact, only a very small, tiny amount of the 40 um, recycled plastics supplied across Australia and New Zealand were uh, found to be containing um, timber, paper, and, and organic materials. Um, how are these properties measured? That's the second question. Um, there is a, a table, but there is also a lot of discussion in Appendix B, so I encourage you to look at that. Um, you will see that uh, we ask you to test phthalates, heavy metals, so all the bad stuff that we don't want to be there. There is a testing method that you may want to follow. And the same for the melting point, the melt flow index, 
and the presence of filler. Um, it, it, it is quite common when you are selling additive for the asphalt industry that these additives come with a testing uh, sheet or, or a one-pager saying uh, stating all the properties of the product they are selling. So that should be something that, that we may need to incorporate plastics in the road industry. As I said, we have done a lot of screening in the background and we just focus now on a small amount of testing to facilitate the implementation. Now, the Appendix C is um, more related to the bitumen and the asphalt industry. And, and this is what we call the performance-based evaluation protocol, uh, which includes also the description of all the testing that we have done, um, not just for the bitumen and the asphalt properties, but also the emissions and the microplastics. Um, you can consider um, this appendix, um, for instance, to be included into uh, a road specification, or this can even be used as a part of the request for tender um, phase of a project where, where tenders would submit an assessment of their asphalt. So there are four major points in here in Appendix C, and one is the assessment of microplastics release. The second one is the emission part. The third one is the asphalt properties, and we separated that for uh, lightly trafficked asphalt pavements and local roads uh, versus moderate to heavily trafficked um, asphalt pavements. Um, bitumen properties is number four. So if we look at the, the first one, which is the microplastics release, obviously we put that as number one because if your product cannot guarantee a lower amount of microplastics or, or a similar amount, let's put it this way, of microplastics compared to what's already available in the business, um, then maybe we should be avoiding using it. So the first step is really an environmental step. And um, there are indications in Appendix C, and this is just a small extract of Appendix C about how to run the abrasion procedure, what are the characteristics of the asphalt samples, what are the characteristics of the instruments and the equipment, and the testing conditions. There are also indications about the extraction procedure. So the abrasion procedure is really the, the, the easy thing. Uh, uh, the most difficult part was to set up the extraction procedure to quantify the microplastics. But again, you have all the uh, uh, content of all the different uh, steps that needs to be done in there, and as well as a thorough description of all the solvents to be used, uh, the quantities, so on and so forth. Um, it looks like a, a real testing specifications if you look at it. Um, in terms of a benchmark, um, we in, there was a quite a, a big discussion with the advisory board members here, and it was decided that any new product that contains recycled uh, plastics, any new asphalt product that contains recycled plastics should not release more uh, than uh, a product that has already been approved for, for asphalt users. Could be A35P, could be A15E or, or, or one of the polymer modified bitumen. Uh, there is also space for the road authorities to apply a tolerance limit if they want to, to consider the variability due to the testing equipment. Um, what I would like you to notice is that we are talking about microplastics, we are talking about um, small increases between one mix and the other, but all that, well, all that we have found so far is that um, less than 1%, probably 0. something percent of the total microplastics commonly found on the road surface can be considered related to the wear and tear of, of the plastic road. Um, because as you know, the the 99 point something percent uh, comes from vehicle tires. 
and and this by the way is how they look like when you extract it and, and you look at them uh, with a powerful microscope the emissions part in appendix b is has been set as optional why is it optional so you will still find all the description about how to do and what to do uh, in, in the appendix c but it has been set as optional uh, after discussion with the advisory board because uh, there is not such a thing for any of the asphalt products available um, today on the market. So if you're using uh, uh, any other type of asphalt, you don't really need to comply with any emission standard. Yes, some road authorities may ask you to, to measure it, but um, it's not compulsory. So it, it has been set as optional. As I said, you will find all the information about what to do and how to do it in Appendix C. Uh, the asphalt properties, what I would really like to emphasize is the green stuff um, in, in the green box there, the writing in the green box there. Um, although we have tested one particular mix design, uh, one particular um, bitumen content, and you have seen how many tests have been conducted. So imagine testing three mix designs, uh, uh, five or six uh, uh, bitumen content and so on and so forth. That would have lasted for 10 years. Uh, <clears throat> so although uh, all of this, the Appendix C um, methodology or the framework that we have developed can be used by any asphalt product um, containing any type of plastics um, at any content because it's purely based on performance, as I will show you in a second. So we wanted to really simplify the uh, specifications and try to facilitate as much as possible the uptake of plastic, but in a safe manner so that the road authority can be uh, confident that there will not be any uh, uh, side effect when using this sort of products. So um, there are four properties, and, and these are the ones listed there, um, that you should all be complying with. And specifically, the maximum pl plastic aggregate size, if you're using the dry method, we don't really want to have big chunks of plastics. We found that big chunks of plastic, 10 millimeters, 12 millimeters, they tend to break during compaction. So in the field, that will also be the case. And we would like to avoid that. So the maximum has been set to 6.7. The aggregate gradation, when you are using the dry mix again, so you're partially substituting the coarse or the finer aggregate with recycled plastic aggregate, um, there are limits in terms of uh, uh, passing at each sieve size, but also limits in the total difference of the full particle size distribution that you should be complying with. Uh, compactability, so the air voids after a certain number of gyration must be within a minimum and a maximum. So we sure we, we need to make sure that the mix is compactable and, um, and not all the uh, uh, state uh, and territories in Australia have uh, a minimum value, but some of them have as 2%. And we wanted to put the 5.5% as a maximum just to avoid that, that um, contractors or, or producers will put a very large amount of uh, recycled plastics in their asphalt. We have shown how um, compactability goes down and further down uh, if you add more than a specific amount of plastics. And obviously the TSR should be greater than 80% as is most commonly done in all the uh, different mixes. So we came up with the idea of creating a performance graph and this is for a moderate to heavily traffic asphalt payment. I do not have time to uh, go through the local roads but you will find some information in Appendix C as well. Um, very simple idea but it's quite easy to facilitate the use of recycled plastic in a safe manner. So if you plot two different properties and usually 
what the road authority is interested in is fatigue and rotting. Um, regardless of the testing methodology, you, you can use the same performance graph for everything. Um, the point at the middle, in the middle of the graph, which you just represented in the middle of the graph, but it doesn't need to be exactly in the middle. Uh, this can be any comparison mix. It can be a PMB mix, it can be a neat bitumen, it can be a gap graded, it can be an open graded, it can be a dense graded, and that depends really on the project requirement. So if the project you, are, you want to apply plastic in is a dense graded AC14, that will be an AC14 AC dense graded mix. Um, now, if you have a, 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 um, a mix, an asphalt mix that you are proposing in quadrant one, uh, that basically means it's better in performance in fatigue resistance and rotting resistance. So is it ready to go? Yeah, that should always be ready to go. And if we are using the, the point in the middle already, so if you're using the mix in, in the comparison the comparison mix already, that one is better, um, so it should be ready to go. Quadrant two, is it shovel ready? Well, that depends on the project requirements and the payment design, because obviously you have better fatigue but worse rotting. And in quadrant T, it's kind of three, it's kind of the same story, but the other way around. So you have better rotting or worse fatigue. So I was talking, for instance, to uh, Road Authority, um, where one of the major cities in Australia was uh, having big rotting issues uh, on bus lanes. Um, so if a mix is in quadrant three, and, and fatigue was not really an issue. So if a mix is in quadrant three, then maybe be a good mix for that particular project. Well, whereas if you are in quadrant four, well, probably there is something wrong in the mix design or the, the product you, you're trying to use. So it's probably better if you go back to the mix define and improve the performance. And you can really change the benchmark mix wherever you want. And these are just three quick examples of quadrant one. Alternative two mix is really on the ISO performance for fatigue, but better rotting. And alternative three is in quadrant three. So, that is a simple way for not confining um, or limiting the use of plastic to a specific mix design with a specific plastic content with a specific plastic polymer. Um, in terms of bitumen, for the New Zealand case, that is quite easy because New Zealand is using a performance grade um, type of classification for their binders. Uh, they also use the MSCR test. Uh, that I showed you before for a classification of resistance to traffic. So as long as you have those thresholds, you can play and mix and match your product with the uh, New Zealand specification, that would be quite easy to do. Uh, in Australia, the ATS3110 standard um, has a, 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 a one different column for uh, one particular uh, polymer modified bitumen. And um, we came up with the two columns up here. Um, one is called R+, R++, but regardless of the name, the, the main idea is that uh, the R+, is a lower content of recycled plastic, so it can be useful in some applications. As I show you, uh, in, under the wet method, a low content of recycled plastics can still provide up to 35% of fatigue resistance increase, up to um, 50 plus percent of rotting resistance, so it can still be considered a good mix in uh, under certain circumstances. The R plus plus is more for the bitumen suppliers who would like to increase the content of recycled plastics, use compatibilizer, um, change the properties here and there, 
And obviously in the R++, you, you can fit a lot of different products. And I'm perfectly aware that probably some of the product that can be uh, found in R++ provided by different bitumen suppliers can uh, exceed the, the properties that are in here. Um, but the way the ATS3110 is built um, only allow us to put a band with a minimum and a maximum value. And that's what we follow. But you can, have, you can see all the details there. Uh, lastly, you can find all the information in Report 3, Part A, that's available for downloads and it's also attached to the materials. What is next in Report 3B, which, as I said, it will be submitted in a couple of days, is the mix method. So again, all the mechanical properties of the asphalt, all the emissions and the microplastics related to the mix method. And we also investigated the future recyclability of plastic modified reclaimed asphalt material. So if you see the picture here, you may be able to spot the, the small green particles of ABS. This was a recycle, um, what we call P-wrap uh, from uh, an R-ABS mix. There is a procedure that we have put together to fabricate wrap uh, in the lab, and um, you will find more information in the next report. Last but not least, I would like to acknowledge all the help of the many people who have collaborated to this project. Uh, Diet, Rebecca, Youngja, Marie, Michael, Hassan, just to name a few, and some of them you got to know them today, but some others are probably watching the webinar in the office. So a big thank you to them as well. I will pass it on to Ekaterina now for some Q&A. Thanks, Filippo. Uh, I've got the slides and uh, Andrew, it's over to you. Thanks, uh, Filippo. Uh, young Jai and Marie, excellent presentation. A number of questions here. Um, Filippo, first one to you. We, we chose to use A35P as a benchmark for assessing microplastics. <laughs> Are you doing any work in regards to assessing um, uh, using A10E, uh, using uh, A10E modified binder as a comparison? Yeah, okay. So um, the reason why we selected A35P in the first instance was because within the, uh, the classification of polymer modified bitumen present in Australia, the only P plastomeric modified binder was the A35P which seemed to be quite uh, similar to the plastomeric modification provided by recycled plastic. So that was the original reason for selecting A35P. In terms of whether we are doing studies on the E part of the family, there are some studies that we've been conducting on the emissions and the microplastics release of A15E, not A10E, but A15E. Thank you. Uh, slide 69. One for you, Marie, you can go to slide 69. So question, are you then hypothesizing that what stripped from the aggregate when 6% by weight plastic was used was the agglomerates of plastic? Um, if so, what would you think was the mechanism that initially at lower plastic concentration improved the aggregate modified bitumen interface? Yeah, that's a good question. So it's not. So what you can see on the slide and on the uh, macroscopic picture for RLDP six percent, it doesn't mean there is plastic aggregate because this 
keep in mind that this is a macroscopic image. So if you have a look at the scale, this is in micrometers. So it just means that um, in bitumen, part of the plastic will be poorly dispersed, but not all of it. So because we increase the plastic percent, that would cause um, poor dispersion of part of the plastic. And therefore, in some places around the aggregates, there will be more plastic than bitumen. Because of this, um, the adhesion will be different with the aggregate, and that will cause weakness points into the asphalt. And therefore, when the abrasion is applied to the asphalt, um, then the mechanical properties of the asphalt are uh, decreased, and therefore that leads to more macroplastics being released. Now, if you look at the other one, so one, two, and four percent, the plastic is well dispersed in bitumen, and that will lead to better uh, biological properties and also better adhesion properties of the polymer modified bitumen onto the aggregate, which gives this better. Um, uh, adhesion and therefore a release of uh, the number of microplastics being released from the uh, uh, modified asphalt. Andrew, if I may add, if I may yeah. add on this slide and, and, the, and the question, uh, probably I, I would like to point out that one percent, two percent, four percent, six percent here represented in these slides, they do not contain any compatibilizer at all. So they were just tested as it is. Um, this behavior, this curve, may possibly change if we use compatibilizer and the plastic dispersion mm -hmm. is improved and the adhesion between the aggregates and the bitumen is also improved. But as, as a benchmark, we wanted to test all the different possibilities to see what, where the problem was. But any other person or industry uh, uh, or contractor or company or supplier of binder that would like to run their own testing, they have the methodology in Appendix C and they can see for themselves whether it's within the benchmark limits or not. But this graph is strictly related to the fact that there was no compatibilizer in it, nothing, just a pure bitumen and plastics. Thanks, Elpo. You, um, in regards to emissions, we saw the relationship between uh, the release of emissions and, and temperature. Question to Yang Jai and you, Philippo. Presumably, one could use warm mix technology to lower both production and placement temperatures when considering a plastic containing, a asphalt containing recycled plastic. Yes, that's true. Um, and, and that will lower the emission significantly. We have tested three temperatures for the asphalt. Yongja, feel free to jump in when you want. Uh, we have tested three asphalt temperatures, and the first one was 140. Uh, exactly for the purpose of simulating a bit of a warm mix asphalt. We didn't add any warm mix asphalt additive in it. Um, so in terms of total reduction of PAH and VOC, that's absolutely right. Any warm mix asphalt technology will lower the emission significantly. Uh, we also need to take into account, as Young just said, that one thing is looking at the total emissions, total PAH, total VOC, and another stuff is looking at uh, the particular compounds. So even if we're using warm mix asphalt, there could be a spike in one of the compounds that may deserve a bit more attention because those malt compounds may create other problems or, or they may be irritants for the nose and the throat of the workers. So we, we need to look at, at both things, the total emitted compounds, but also some specific compounds here, here and there. Thank you. 
um, just confirming one for you, Marie, in regards to the microplastics. Um, we don't have a slide reference. Uh, the comment is, um, was the testing only done at 60 minutes, pH 7 and 25 degrees? Would there have been different results at other parameters that are more realistic of, of the environmental parameters? Yeah, that's another good question. So, um, as I said, we had to optimize the procedure to have a single pr procedure with standardized parameters so that we could compare uh, different samples together. Um, and that was a way to benchmark new product against um, reference product. Now, um, I haven't presented you all the tests that we've done, but if you go into the report, you'll see all the tests that we've done. And if you vary the water pH, the duration and the temperature, then you can also investigate how fast are the microplastics being released? What is the impact of the temperature? What is the impact of the pH? So of course, if you change these parameters, yes, you will have a different release and that will be another study. But for the purpose of this project, the aim was to develop a standard procedure to compare different samples together. So we had to select these parameters. But if you change them, of course, the results will be different. And, and I will jump. So you got to Oh, thanks. I will jump in again by saying that um, the question asked about more realistic environmental conditions. But what is a realistic environmental condition in Australia? Is it the one in Melbourne? Is it the one uh, up in Townsville? And in terms of temperature variations, um, but also pH of the rain, is it uh, all the water coming through the pavement with that particular pH? Or is it a sporadic event that, of, of a particular time of the year? Um, duration is probably related to the amount of traffic on that particular road. So is it a low traffic road? Is it a high traffic road? Because different levels of traffic may produce different abrasion levels. And, and that's exactly what we're trying to investigate now, uh, how these tests correlate to the amount of traffic in the field. And, and presumably you could adjust those parameters if you believe that they require adjustment for your particular project and for your particular environment. So if you've got an environment where you've got lower temperatures, then you could look at lower temperature testing. But of course, as you indicated, Marie, there are some challenges in doing the lab testing to, um, to be able to do that. So um, there is flexibility though. Um, the, the microplastic test framework, it, uh, do you anticipate that becoming an Austroids test method? Um, that's that's difficult. We that's about I'll my pay grade, as somebody would say. <laughs> I'll, I'll answer my it. <laughs> no, look, I'll answer it. So the the next report will actually present, I believe, a uh, a, a draft test method for consideration by Austroads, and and that'll be um, it'll go to other groups for evaluation and whether that should become the a an Austroids test method. Thanks, Andrew. Now I. I think we're, I'm not too sure how much time we've got left. Ekaterina, so. Uh, well, we don't have any time left, but we can take another okay. few minutes if you want. <laughs> no, that's okay. We've, we've got uh, just a, a couple more questions remaining. So I might bring the question session to a close there and uh, we'll respond to these uh, these questions formally through at some later stage, Ekaterina. So I'll hand back to you. Thank you. Um, thanks, everybody. There are just a few questions left, so we will respond to them directly. Um, 
to the participants. Um, thanks so much, everybody. Fantastic presentation and uh, amazing project. And I only have one slide left. And uh, it's just to tell you about our future webinars. Uh, we don't have them scheduled yet, but we are planning them. Uh, there will be a few sessions uh, soon. There will be one webinar in June uh, where we will present uh, Austro's upcoming projects for the 2022-23 financial year. Uh, and in July, we will have two webinars, uh, which will focus on the updates to the Guide to Road Design, Part 6, which provide guidance on roadside design, safety and um, barriers. So the dates and details for these webinars, they will be published on our website soon. Just keep an eye on the webinars page. Um, as usual, once we close out today's session, there will be a questionnaire. So please take a couple of minutes to uh, give us your feedback. Let us know what you liked or didn't like about this session. Uh, we read it all and it really helps us to shape our future webinar program. Uh, once again, today's session is being recorded and we will let you know when the link is available on the Austria's website. Uh, thanks again for being with us. Stay safe uh, and well. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day and we will see you next time. Yeah, thank you. Bye. See you. Thank you. Thank you.